One guy. One gal. One actor. And one year. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Kevin, Kevin Costner, Costner Project. Project. Good evening, Greg. Good evening, Kate. How's it going tonight? Well, going okay. We spent a lot of time today watching 1990s Dances with Wolves. Correct. And we just want to start the episode off with a couple of acknowledgments. First of all, we do want to acknowledge that the land that our house is presently sitting on was once the property of the... Seneca Nation of the Iroquois Confederacy. This is stolen land, and we just want to acknowledge that we understand that white people didn't always live here. Most, if not all, of the land of the U.S. is stolen land from some Native American tribe. Correct. Now, a lot has happened in our understanding of the world in the past 33 years since this movie came out. We are going to ask everyone to kindly assume good intentions as we discuss this movie and the culture. Greg and I are not going to intentionally attempt to offend anyone. We don't know what we don't know about all of this. It's a very difficult topic for us as Caucasian American people to sit here and talk about the past wrongs that have been done to Native Americans historically since white settlers hit the shores of this country. Correct. We, we are not historians. Exactly. <laughs> and we will be talking about some of our experiences and some of the things that we have learned about all of this. We are not doing that in any attempt to make anyone feel badly about what happened. Absolutely. It's strictly to help people learn, to help ourselves grow. The more we know, the better we can do. We are not attempting to virtue signal either. Virtue signaling is about showing off your knowledge and making everybody else feel bad like you're some kind of expert. Greg and I are in no way experts about any of this. Correct. So we, we are asking you to assume good intent on our part. We're going to attempt to refrain from negative language and connotations. And with that, let us proceed with the show. Greg, talk about the basics of Dances with Wolves. Okay, the basics. Well, you've said the name of the movie. <laughs> uh, it is a PG-13 from 1990. And it is considered an historical drama and runs about three hours. The ratings from IMDb, it is an 8.0 out of 10. And Rotten Tomatoes is an 87. So they're they're fairly... Pretty close. Pretty close and there. And pretty high. Yeah. And I know you said it, but I missed it. What is the motion picture rating on this? Is it PG or... PG-13. PG-13. Okay, thank you. Kevin Costner, what our podcast is all about. <laughs> he is really the main character in this, of course. He is Lieutenant John Dunbar, and he is later referred to as Dances with Wolves. And we'll get into why that is later on as well. And that's about, I think, maybe halfway through the movie. He changes his name or they change his name for him. Correct. Who else was in this movie besides Kevin Costner that people might know? Kate recognized one as Mary McDonald. Yeah. McDonald. McDonald, yeah. I was so excited to see her. If any of you just recently watched the Netflix Fall of the House of Usher... And Mary McDonald was in The Fall of the House of Usher. And kind of hilariously, in my opinion, there is a raven in Dances with Wolves in one of the um, shelters that she's sitting in. Correct. And then we have Graham Greene. Graham Greene is a member of the First Nations of Canada. He's an Oneida tribe member up there. And he is actually quite a famous actor. He's been in a lot of things, but it seems like Dances with Wolves is what propelled him to superstardom. Correct, uh, because he was 
nominated for an Academy Award for his role in this movie. And his his role is Kicking Bird. Kicking Bird. <laughs> and he was in Die Hard with a Vengeance, which might be my favorite Die Hard movie. And The Green Mile. You've probably I, seen I that. I have seen that one too, yeah. The Green Mile I found very upsetting. I also found Dances with Wolves very upsetting. But Die Hard I didn't find upsetting and I remember Graham Greene being in that. So that's kind of fun. Okay, and let's see. Who else uh, do we want to mention that was in this movie? Just in passing, there's a couple other folks I wouldn't mind mentioning unless anyone else jumps out to you. No, go ahead. Robert Pastorelli is in this, and he was kind of big-time TV actor in the 80s. He was on Murphy Brown as her kind of hapless handyman guy. And Wes Studi, he's also a Native American actor, and he was, for me, I think the first time I saw him was in the comedy movie Mystery Men with Greg Kinnear and William H. Macy and Janine Garofalo. And he plays one of the kind of hapless superheroes in that movie. I don't think I've seen that movie. So, in fact, when he shows up here as one of the Pawnee Warriors, I was like, oh, my gosh, it's the guy from Mystery Men. And I had to immediately... And apparently the toughest Pawnee. <laughs> yeah, he was pretty tough. All right. And I think the last person we might want to mention is another Costner was in this movie. I know. We got double Costner in this one. <laughs> exactly. Kevin Costner's daughter. And her name is Annie. And she plays the young Stands with Fist. Stands with Fist is a white woman who has grown up among the Lakota people after... They kind of spared her life after destroying the family farm. Right. And she she was pretty cute. Yeah. And that must have been a hard role at that age because she looks quite young. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine she had to have been more than seven or eight. Yeah. I would have said five or six even. Oh, maybe. So, yeah. Yeah. So double Costner in this one. Very good. All right. Well, I'm going to give you a brief synopsis greg any other things you wanted to mention oh did you want to mention the since you talked about all of the um ratings and whatever do you want to talk about the oscars this movie one sure why don't we run down the list it it got some good stuff here oscars it won was best picture best director best original score Sound, film editing, cinematography, and best adapted screenplay. So this did come from the book of the same name, Dances with Wolves, by Michael... I want to say Michael Baker, but I don't know if that's true or not. Let's see. Michael Blake. Michael Blake. Right. And there were a few nominations, though they didn't win. Uh, So Kevin Costner got nominated... Uh, Mary McDonnell and Graham Greene. Graham yeah. Greene as well. It was pretty good. Um, it, it had a lot of presence in the Oscars that year. Yeah. We started the show today with a little clip of John Dunbar's theme. That theme music was written by John Barry. And you may know him as the composer of the James Bond theme. Correct. So um, he had a very illustrious career as a composer, and unfortunately he died in 2011. But he wrote some famous music, and growing up, my sister had the cassette of this soundtrack, and I never saw the movie. Have you seen this movie? Yes, I saw it once before, but watching it today, I barely remember actually seeing it that time so it's it was seeing it almost as i never seen it before okay well i remember just wearing the soundtrack out i was really moved by the music and still watching it today i just absolutely loved listening to the music while we watched it so i'm going to give you a brief synopsis of the movie and then we're going to get into it so kevin costner plays lieutenant john dunbar as greg mentioned He is fighting in the Civil War. He's been fairly seriously injured. They are talking when the movie starts about taking his foot off, as they did in those Civil War hospitals. They just 
had to grit your teeth and took a saw to your leg. He does not want that to happen. So he hops on his horse and there is like a standoff between the north and south with a little strip of land in between the two. And he decides to go on a suicide mission and ride his horse back and forth between those two areas and come to find out that his actions, rather than being seen as the stupid, desperate acts of a suicidal man, were quite heroic and allowed the North to advance. And this took place in Tennessee, I believe. I think you're right. There's a part of this where he just throws his arms in the air and rides that horse, and he looks like he feels like a million dollars while he's doing that. (laughs) And anyway, he is rewarded by his superiors. They tell him he can go any post in the entire country that he wants to go to, and he wants to go out west to see the frontier before it is gobbled up by the settlers that he knows are heading west. Exactly, and and one of the generals, somebody got him all fixed up. So he he got to keep his leg. (laughs) Got to keep his leg and everything. Yes. So he heads out west and finds himself alone out on the Great Plains and makes contact with the Lakota people who are basically struggling to survive in the dwindling buffalo herds and also their continued wars with their Pawnee neighbors. And that is basically it. It's about his life out there and his struggle for acceptance among them and their acceptance of him as a white person and kind of what happens at the end when the white army does show up. Correct. That is the overall film. So, Greg, where was this film made? Well, a good portion of this film was actually shot in South Dakota and Wyoming. Most of it was South Dakota, from what I read, and the Badlands, Rapid City, and Pier were the three places they primarily filmed it in. And we used to live in Pier. Correct. That's uh, where we lived for two years. Yep. We'll put some pictures on our Instagram of some of the sites that we saw in and around South Dakota and Wyoming. We only went to Wyoming once, I think. Correct. But it was the scenery out there you can't describe to people who haven't been there. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, and the, like, the massiveness of the monuments, like Crazy Horse, a big Native American undertaking that they're trying to create and i don't think they're even a quarter of the way done with the monument it's kind of an answer to mount rushmore is they're trying to build this correct monument to crazy horse and they're trying not to take um government money to to create it uh, right the federal government did offer to pay for it and they have said no they're going to pay for it out of private donations Correct. the badlands used to be underwater it was an intercontinental ocean Correct. That has since dried up and you can drive through it and see the buffalo and the prairie dogs and the fossils. There's a lot of fossils still in the rock there. Absolutely. And so, in fact, there was like one scene where they're taking a carriage through the bottom of the Badlands. And I was like, wait a second, Greg, that's the Badlands. Yeah, exactly. I, it, <laughs> I mean, some of those shots, I'm like, that looks like we probably looked at that exact shot when we're we were at the badlands exactly so it was um it was really nice to see that again the scenes around pier in rapid city i i know the scenes around pier were shot on a private ranch so there was nothing about pier that we would have seen correct they were out in fields and things and i'm sure near rapid city the same thing however if you drive along i-90 you're gonna see a ton of billboards about the Dances with Wolves set and props, and you can go see the museum. Right, it's out by Mount Rushmore. Yep, and who owns that at the present moment? Does Kevin actually still own that? He does. I think he's in the process of trying to sell it off. But last I knew, Kevin Costner actually owns the whole attraction. Okay, so that's about the filming of it. And that's why we know as little as we do about the things we're going to talk about is because we did spend two years out there as South Dakotans. Yeah, exactly. Did you feel nostalgia for South Dakota watching Dances with Wolves? 
a little bit, but not terribly. I, I'm more was sort of surprised at how some of the shots in the Badlands sort of like I was like I was there. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, and I've said this, you know, nothing to do with Dance of the Wolves, but the only thing I really miss about being out there was just the immensity of the sky and the landscape and how small you feel. Being here back east, everything is crowded. There's trees. You don't have a sense of space the way you do in the plains areas. So that I do miss. I have to be honest. I don't miss much else. I miss a few of the people that we knew. And um, other than that, I'm happy to be home. But Yeah, I, I definitely was in awe out there that you can see. Sometimes you can see almost like 20 or more miles. Yeah. Because it's fairly flat. And flat and straight. Straight. I mean, that that's probably the one thing that I truly do miss is sort of seeing that. But I did miss trees from back here, so. Right, exactly. <laughs> and in fact, you kind of commented there's a scene in which John Dunbar has this big bonfire going that he's dancing around. And we were like, you said... Where did he get the wood for that? Right. There's no trees. There's not very many trees. <laughs> I mean, really, there's uh, there's some trees, that, uh, and majority of those are cottonwoods. They seem to be the only ones that grow around there. But there isn't a big amount of them. No, definitely not. And certainly, they were not using them for firewood when they could get their hands on them. Right. Let's put it that way. I don't. I really don't think so. They were living in sod huts and not in the most comfortable conditions. There is one existing sod homestead that you can actually go in and tour, and we did do that as right, well. Right, near the Badlands. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we could probably talk all night about living in South Dakota, but let's move on to the to the movie. Did we finish Dances with Wolves? Absolutely. Did we have any struggle, like the last two movies, to finish Dances with Wolves? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think it was fairly engaging. I think our only main interruption was when our exchange student came home. I did need to take a breather at one point. There was some fairly intense action, and I did feel like I needed to get up and take a little walk around the house, refresh my drink, make some popcorn. But overall, it was not a difficult movie to watch. In terms of engagingness and and the entertainment value. Right. right. I think now is where we're going to kind of get into some of these more difficult topics. But what did you overall think about Dances with Wolves? It's a hard movie to analyze, partly because I sort of feel like a lot has changed since since it came out. Mm -hmm. So, though I did watch it back in the day now my view on on some of the aspects about it have changed after living in South Dakota um, and how one is supposed to refer to some of the tribes as what is sort of derogatory terms that type of stuff um, let's hit that one right <clears throat> off the bat so We watched with the captions on post-COVID, my ears are not the best, and they're not the best pre-COVID anyway. The word Sioux, S-I-O-U-X, was thrown around a lot, both in the captions and verbally. Sioux is a problematic term. Actually a derogatory term for the Lakota peoples. Correct. So, Sioux is an insult that means little snakes. So, their enemies would call them little snakes. The term Lakota means friend or ally. They viewed themselves as being very friendly and open people. And then the French came in and dubbed them the Sioux. And then the Sioux became just this slur against them. So, we will not be using that term. Or attempt not attempt to. Attempt <laughs> not to. Even though it's a derogatory term, it is used a heck of a lot still out when you're in the South Dakota area. And probably throughout the U.S. is still a term that is used. 
not very many people outside of South Dakota really know that the real the real name is Lakota. Yes. And we're going to patch in a clip right now of some of the Native American actors speaking the Lakota language. And if you listen really, really hard, you will actually hear them say the word Lakota. But when we had the captions, captions on, the word Sioux kept coming up, even though you can hear them say Lakota. So stand by for one minute. Okay, so we tried to clip that so you could hear the word Lakota pretty, pretty closely. Exactly. So anyway, um, just from the website, so there are three different, very similar terms, Dakota, Lakota and Nakota with a D and L or an N and it just means friendly people and that's what they tend to call themselves. It's just a dialectical difference between Dakota, Nakota and Lakota. So this website from the South Dakota Department of History says that the Sioux Nation is made up of seven groups collectively called the Ocheti or Oseti Sakawin or the seven council fires. So we're going to yep. just say Lakota people. The people that were depicted were Lakotas. And as Kate said, they actually say it in that clip, Lakota. Yeah. So we don't know how, how much of the movie was trying to be correct on everything there, but it is stated in the movie. And you would have to know to listen for it, too. Right. Like two years ago, I wouldn't have known to listen for the word Lakota. Absolutely. I mean, because, I mean, because they're speaking in the, their native language, the uh, subtitles are on automatically. And it's, I think, as you said, Kate, it states it as Sue. And yeah. So, Kevin, get on that and have them recaption the film and change that, please. Going into this movie, I thought that it was going to be a real white savior movie wherein Kevin Costner was going to ride to the rescue of these Native American people. And, you know, I, I don't guess I actually knew what the movie was about, but that's what my concern was, that we were going to watch this in 2023 and the 1990 movie was not going to stand up particularly well in view of what we know historically. So the country now that we live in, the United States, is undergoing something of an historical fine-tuning. Correct. We understand better that the history that you and I have grown up learning is not particularly accurate correct um, Columbus did not come here discover the Indians the pilgrims showed up we all had Thanksgiving and we've been best friends ever since and I think that's more or less the history we grew up with correct I'm happy to say that's not the history that we're learning now is it too late for us maybe not is it too late for older generations? Yes, I think so. And they're <laughs> a little feisty about having to relearn their history. All that being said, I don't think the movie was as bad about that as I thought it was going to be. There were certainly some instances that made me uncomfortable. But overall, and this is my perspective as a white person, I understand that. I was not as offended by it as I thought I might be. I think I didn't have really preconceived notion of what I was going to see. I, I just sort of said, okay, I'm going to watch the movie. I believe that a synopsis of what it sort of was about, it was about this guy that it went to find himself. He immersed himself in trying to be one with the Lakota people. I don't think he went there with the intention of that happening, but that is what happened. Do you 
think he should have done that? And do you think they should have welcomed him the way that they did? I would have thought that they would have been a little more hesitant. I mean, obviously, I think for the movie, they sort of sped it up with them interacting and everything. I think it would have taken a lot longer than it did. If we're really talking about Kevin Costner's character being a real person and and everything, I feel it took him a real short time to learn their language and stuff, oh, too. Oh, yeah. That was a big thing. I'm like, okay, that that was quick. <laughs> I wonder if Kevin Costner as a person has a facility with languages. This is the third or fourth language that's not English that we've heard him speak. Well, I mean, clearly he has a knack for being able to do that. Um, and he spoke a lot of Lakota in, in this movie. Yes, he did. He did speak quite a lot. And it was probably fairly accurate that there was definitely a communication barrier. That, yes, there probably were other white people that may have ended up with the tribe, may have known some, some English. But I think it was more accurate that most of them didn't understand that language so there was a definitely a barrier that they had to learn the names for certain things like for the buffaloes tatanka which was one of the first words that they in the movie that they were able to sort of communicate over um, because the Lakota people were looking for them and so Kevin, and Kevin Costner wanted to see them. Right, exactly. Not as a food source, but just as a matter of interest. Correct. Which I shared with him, because when we moved to South Dakota, I wanted to see them too. Yes. But people, don't go trying to pet them. Do not pet the fluffy cows. <laughs> They're big, mean, and fast. <laughs> <laughs> they will gore you. <laughs> <laughs> They're happy to flip you in the air and hurt you. People, there's been plenty of incidences, especially in Yellowstone National Park, of that happening. Yeah. I remember, I think it was the first time we went to the Badlands and we were leaving and the buffalo were coming across the road kind of in front of us and everybody had pulled over and some guy jumped out with his phone to try to get up close and personal and he made tracks back to his van right quick when that yes, buffalo got close. Yes, he did. I... I remember seeing the, the buffalo uh, turn towards him, and yeah. I, I was like, dude. Like he had a window left, I think. <laughs> oh, but, boy. Uh, yeah. Was there something about John Dunbar that made him a safe pick for the Lakota? Like, t what we saw in most of this was that they would find happen upon a white person and immediately murder them. But for some reason, with him, they didn't. Correct. Um, and when he got to the military post, it was clearly deserted. Right. Nobody had been there for a very long time. And the man that drove him out there and left him there was immediately murdered by the Pawnee by the Pawnee not right. by the Lakota was there something about John Dunbar or was there something about the Lakota knowing that their term means friend or friendly their name means that was there something about him or them that made it possible for him to ingratiate himself with them I think part of it was for the Lakota at least way it was portrayed the the first member of the tribe that comes across Kevin Costner's character is uh, Graham Greene Kickingbird and I think he was curious about his horse about the setup there and I think part of it was he was surprised that Kevin Costner's character was there, realized that it seemed as though 
Lieutenant John Dunbar was not, didn't immediately, like, shoot at him. I think, too, they viewed him as a valuable opportunity to get to know the enemy, so to speak. Yes. They did talk about how, like, this guy would know when the other ones were coming. Correct. They, they continually asked him how many more of you are are coming. And that, that was a, a big theme throughout the whole thing. And finally... Kevin Costner's character admits to, I think it was Kicking Bird, that there is or there will be more of my people coming. And it's not going to be good for you. Right. When they show up. Yeah. They won't be like me. Right. And they'll come in numbers. And I think that was the difference at the end when the white soldiers do show up and there are multiples of them. They don't have to be curious and open to the people they're encountering out there because they just feel like they are the United States military and they can run roughshod over whoever gets in their way. Correct. John Dunbar, he comes back to his camp to try and get his journal and they mistake him for a Native American because of what he was wearing. Yep. And they, he had changed significantly to that point that he was wearing the same clothing and right. accoutrements or I don't know. I don't want to use the word accessories. Right. But, but by after he had like done trading of like his coat or his hat or something, he got some of the some of their clothing clothing back. back. I mean, they end up shooting his and killing his horse. Oh my God, we can't even talk about what happens to the animals in this movie. Yeah, there, it is devastating. There, there's some bad stuff there. Yeah, I don't even want to talk about it yet. I got to work my way up to it. I had that, to leave the room at one point. That's fine. <laughs> um, I may, mainly wanted to talk about that portion just because of the fact that the numbers of white men, they saw this guy and they immediately said, he's American Indian, we're going to... Shoot, ask questions later. And that's what they would say. Right. Was American Indian. Right. Right. Because historically that was the language right. used. So you do hear that language in the movie. That's not what we would say, but right. that's what the characters were saying. Correct. So he manages to, I guess the best term is ingratiate himself with the Lakota tribe. This is not, as we mentioned, there are other members of the Osseti Sakawan people. The Lakota is one, probably the main tribe amongst those tribes. And he manages to ingratiate himself with this particular tribe, sub-tribe. I don't know what the correct terms are, but it's not like the entire Lakota nation showed up. Correct, correct. It's like a small band of them. I would say at the most that group is maybe at the most 30 or 40 maybe 50 yeah i would have said 50 or so right men women and children in and amongst them is a white woman that has grown up amongst them she was taken i don't know what to say about it her family they they were murdered we don't really know what tribe murdered the family but somehow she ended up with the Lakota. Yeah, she escaped. She started running out into the prairie. And somehow they picked her up and she has been raised to be among them and be one of them. And so she, of course, catches his eye. She has been injured out on the prairie. He brings her into the tribe to hopefully get some help. And then he politely leaves and they nurse her back to health and it turns out that her husband was a full-blooded member of the Lakota and And she is mourning his death. She ended up having to get permission to stop grieving from one of the tribal leaders. From Kicking Bird, I think. From Kicking Bird, right. And of course, Lieutenant John Dunbar and Sands with a Fist end up together they have a marriage ceremony. And at points around this time in the movie, Kevin Costner's character 
also has ingrained himself so much within the, the tribe. He ends up with his own living quarters there instead of back at the post. outpost. Now, I do want to say he, he was not perfect. So at one point, um, he's out at his outpost journaling or whatever. A lot of this takes, you know, he's journaling and we see that a lot when he hears that the buffalo have arrived and he knows that the Lakota have been waiting for these buffalo as their main food source out there. And so he rides off to find where the tribe is and they happen to be in the midst of a ceremony and he interrupts the ceremony to tell them that the buffalo have returned. And they basically jump him. (laughs) Yeah, they're kicking his ass until somebody intervenes and tells him to knock it off. So it is not that he is perfect, that he does everything correctly. And I did really appreciate that. I will say from our experience out there that it is a very difficult relationship to tread. So you can understand now, um, after more than a century being shuffled onto these shitty reservations, frankly, that Native American people in these areas today are not super keen on white people. And conversely, unfortunately, white people are not super keen on the Native Americans out there. There's a lot of racism. It's just a very difficult place to live from a Native American versus white people perspective. Right. And And no matter how well-intentioned you are as a white person out there, you are still part of this group that they don't trust. Correct. And they are some of the poorest people out there. And uh, Kate, you uh, you experienced going to, to one of these reservations. So I was very fortunate to have been chosen to participate in a program called Leadership South Dakota. And as part of that, we spent three days on the Mission Reservation, which is in the southern part southern central part of south dakota just kind of south of the capital of pier and we drove through i mean as isolated as pockets of south dakota are which like pier is probably the most isolated place i've ever lived times a thousand for the reservation i can't describe it I took you down there. In fact, um, in February of this year, I think we went to the casino to see a show. Right, a magician. And, you know, if you break down out there, you're screwed. Right. And we experienced uh, like seeing a lot of boarded up houses because there's a lot of drug issues. Yeah, the meth issues there are terrible. So there's progressively less housing. You might have seven to ten people in one tiny little house because with the meth exploding the houses are toxic and they can't live there and you see cars all over the side of the road because there's no money to fix them they're not going to continue to pay a loan on a car they can't repair so they just abandon them you see people walking literally miles to get between stores and things just Dire, dire poverty. They can't get consistent medical care, right? So there might be a doctor that comes for two weeks and leaves, and then another doctor comes for two weeks. So they're not consistently having people in. And to an extent, like one of the things that we heard about was that the federal government of the United States had offered the tribal governments of South Dakota something like a billion dollars because the Black Hills have been stolen from them. Now, the Black Hills, for anyone who doesn't know, are rich with gold and also happens to be one of the huge tourist spots in South Dakota. And so the Native Americans flatly want the Black Hills back. The federal government has offered them a billion dollars as quote-unquote reparations for having stolen the Black Hills, but they will not give the Black Hills back. And so the tribes will not accept the settlement because to do so indicates that they then relinquish any rights to the Black Hills for the rest of time. So there are difficult 
you know, situations like that, you know, easily a billion dollars could probably ease a lot of suffering. Right. But then what? Exactly. And I mean, they do own some little area there because they have Crazy Horse and that that whole section there. But yes, the majority of the Black Hills is not really theirs anymore. And it's becoming a place to move for people trying to flee the high cost of living in other states. It is geographically, in my opinion, the nicest part of South Dakota. Whenever I was a little bit homesick for the East Coast, we would drive through the mountains and it felt so nice to see trees and be up in the hills. So the reservations are shitholes, unfortunately. And there's a lot of blame to go around about that and how they were given garbage land to begin with and nothing that should help is helping. Correct. Back to the movie. So you sort of see them struggling and that was part of the Pawnee are viewed as the other enemy in this movie. They're another tribe of Native Americans that are looking for property, looking for geography, and looking for buffalo. And the food source is, is I think, the main conflict in Dances with Wolves. Correct. And yet you come upon Dunbar alerts them that the buffalo are on the move. They go out to find them and come to find out that the white man presumably has slaughtered dozens of buffalo, not for food, which the Native Americans rely upon, but have left their corpses rotting in fields and just stolen their coats. Yes. And their tongues, apparently. And their tongues. I Yeah, what is that about? I, I don't, don't know. It, it, it is mentioned in there, so I'm like, I don't get that. Yeah, but. I have no idea. Anyway, eventually, fortunately, they do come upon the buffalo and have a successful hunt of some live buffalo. I did get up and leave during that because I just find animals dying very upsetting. And from revenge, we saw the damn dog get shot. And I just didn't want to see the buffalo get killed. There was a number of animals that died in the movie. I mean, I doubt they actually died. But, I mean, we had a couple dogs getting shot. We have uh, some of these buffalo that got skinned. And then we have at least one wolf that is killed. Well, let's not jump the gun there, Gregory. Anyway, all right. So they they go on this buffalo hunt, but you can sort of see the struggle for survival out there. We don't really see water. Um, John Dunbar has a small little pond near the outpost he's stationed in, but it's full of dead things and it's not. Right. I think he, he tries to clean it up so we can use that water, but just because there isn't much other water in the area yeah so um and i would say that's accurate because when i drove through the reservations for my class there's nothing there there's fields right you don't see water you don't see animals you don't see anything except boarded up houses what else do we want to say overall about the movie we're really getting into it here it's going to be a long episode yeah yeah well i mean there is a lot to go over with this movie i mean it's three hour movie this is the longest movie that's true (laughs) so far that we've watched of kevin costner's yep uh so there's a lot of stuff to digest and analyze i would like to call attention to another podcast just in case people are interested in learning some more about the cultural appropriation and the attempts to decimate the native culture. So there is a podcast out there called Missing and Murdered. The host is Connie Walker. She's a Cree First Nations reporter out of Canada. And there are two particular seasons I would highly recommend. The first one is called Finding Cleo. And that was going to be starting here at I think at the end of Dances with Wolves in that time frame, about how the American government basically sanctioned the kidnapping of Native American children to then be put into these schools and have the quote-unquote Indian taught out of them or beat out of them or abused out of them. Right, and we sort of witnessed that a little bit. There, There is a school in Pierre. Yep. 
Peer Indian Learning Center or something. Yeah, that's it. Pilk. Peer Indian Learning oh, Center. Um, so you see they still use the term Indian. Right. Um, and it has a checkered history. Fortunately, Correct. now, as far as we know, they're not doing anything sketchy. We have a friend that works there. Correct. And um, the children there seem to be quite happy. They do get to go home and spend time with their families, although they're boarding there during the school year. And the other one, also part of Missing and Murdered, is called Surviving St. Michael's, and that's about what was going on in these quote-unquote Indian schools where the children were being abused. So please check both of those out if you want to learn more about some of the issues going on in attempting to eradicate the Native heritage the native language and the native culture that we saw kind of hopefully brought to life a little bit in dances with wolves but understand that it was written and directed by white people and so i don't know how accurate it is got it is there anything else in related to the overall movie that you wanted to mention i don't know necessarily that we need to talk about all this stuff i would i guess just say that we are continuing to strive and learn and do better um as we learn about all of this stuff so as a nation and and us just me and kate (laughs) i think we kind of got i mean it, it was certainly in our face while we were there you know it's one of those things where you can ignore the things that are not in in front of you right like we'd maybe have stopped thinking about ukraine and what's going on over there maybe we're not thinking about whatever the flavor of the month is because those things aren't directly in our backyard but when you live out there it is in your face immediately right so some of the things the ways it shows up like for instance the white population of south dakota is 93 percent The prison population in South Dakota is 66% non-white, and the vast majority of that is Native Americans. They have a much higher incarceration rate than their white neighbors. Something pertaining to history and libraries, since I'm a librarian, that I would bring up that we're starting to see a shift is that, um, for instance, when you look at books on religion, you know, things like the Bible and so forth are in the library. Mm -hmm. Native American traditions are starting to be incorporated into libraries more and more, um, particularly because Native Americans are all over the country. Obviously, it was their land before anybody else was here. But many of these books were written with titles like Native American Myth and Legend. And rightly so, Native Americans are like, wait a second, how come your religion is a religion, but our religion is a myth or a legend? Right? So those books are starting to be changed over to now indicate that it's a tradition, much like Christianity is a tradition, Judaism is a tradition, instead of indicating that it's somehow less than... Correct. And uh, going along that theme, of course, we are seeing a change where like some things that can be considered derogatory terms for Native Americans are being changed, like the names of some of the sports teams and and like names of places are are slowly starting to change. And we've only noticed started noticing that over the last maybe not even 10 years yeah i mean i think the redskins were the redskins for till just a couple right. of years ago mm-hmm. you know and it was a big to do amongst sports fans like how can they not be the washington redskins anymore but yeah i mean it, it, thinking of a baseball team the braves they always that tomahawk chop and yeah or the or the indians the baseball team i think it was just last year year before that they changed to the guardians yeah so I think it's good. I think it's good that the culture is changing, that we are more aware of the fact of what has happened to these peoples historically, yeah. what our involvement is. I know for many people, you might hear them say, well, my family wasn't here at that time, but you're still benefiting from that system. 
Correct. Because a system got put into place in this country that benefited you as a white person and your family moving in here eventually. That's how my family came to be. This is going down the path of talking about white privilege. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if we want to go down that (laughs) rabbit hole uh, in this podcast, but but that is part of what you're talking about um, with this. and, And that there's been a lot of denial of white privilege over the last 10 years as well. But, um, or to deny that it's a thing anymore. Like everything is fine and it's not, it's not fine. Okay. Well, that's what I have to say about the history, I suppose, of the country. Would this movie have been different if it had been directed by a Lakota person? I felt like, at times, like especially the guy that got killed with the axe, it could be viewed as a little bit gratuitous. It is no worse than what any white person was doing in killing people. The weaponry was different, but the result was the same. And I felt like maybe they were portrayed to be a little bit more bloodthirsty than their white counterparts in this movie. Yeah, and I think that unfortunately that is how we as americans view them that we we, as white americans white americans yes yeah that we view certain tribes of the past as these bloodthirsty people and i mean we even see in one of the scenes and i know kate couldn't look at it but after they kill, the Lakotas kill some of the buffalo, you see them rip out the heart of one of the buffalo, and they eat part of it, and then they offer it to Dunbar, because he's sort of becoming part of them, and it's sort of a symbol of, you were a warrior, you killed some of these, you get to have some of its spoils, you get to eat part of the heart. I think that those types of images try to portray the Native Americans as evil and bloodthirsty. The other way to look at it is, you know, we saw the result of the white people murdering those buffalo and leaving them to rot, whereas here, these Native Americans used literally every part of that animal, including its heart. Right. To, it had a purpose. Right. And it... The buffalo basically was their food source for the winter. And they were not going to let any part of it go to waste. Right. I mean, they used the pelts, I mean, to keep warm in winter. And that was one of the first gifts I think they gave him was his own hide to sleep under. And that gift, they didn't even ask for something in return. They just came and gave that to him and then left. Yeah. Which was very interesting. Yep, and I think they understood the value that it probably had to white people as an object, mm-hmm. whereas, you know, for them it wasn't, it was a matter of survival for them to own those things. Absolutely. But do we want to start wrapping things up here? We're well over an hour at the moment. Yep, well... um, why don't we go down the list of uh, sort of our criteria here? Of course, we finished the movie. Yeah. Um, we talked about the overall film, basically. We talked about Kevin's part. It did this make you feel some kind of way? I think at the end, I said to you that I was never, I never hated being white more than I had at the end of that movie. Mm. As we talked about, Kevin's character, John Dunbar, becomes Dances with Wolves, and it's because he befriends this wolf that he names Two Socks. And at the end, these fucking assholes murder Two Socks while he's watching. They kill his horse, but I think that was more or less an accident. But them killing that wolf was not an accident. Oh, they they were joking and... And they made it suffer a little bit. And I... As I watched that and I watched their attitude towards him, they said they were going to hang him for being a traitor. They were 
fully prepared to murder the Lakota that came to rescue him. It's not that the Lakota were entirely peaceful because they weren't. Right. But the contrast between the two cultures. And I don't know, maybe if they hadn't been soldiers, maybe if they had been white settlers. But even the white settlers seem to be on alert. Like when um, Stands with the Fists family is set upon when they're young, the men immediately become defensive and want to, you know, protect themselves, which I get. That's, I think, normal. But nobody ever sat down and talked about it. It was like immediately hostility. We're going to kill everybody. Yeah. And there was no reason to kill that wolf. There was no reason whatsoever to consider John Dunbar a traitor. To beat him mercilessly the way they did beat him once they got hold of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the nastiness and brutality of that. I was horrified. I don't know how I felt towards the Native American people. I'm not sure that I have the right to feel anything about that. But how I felt overall, yeah, I, I think just it was devastating. Yeah, that, that part when they were beating him, they also, I mean, they were trying to make him prove that he was truly Lieutenant Dunbar and that he was white and not Native American and were refusing to believe him. And it seemed like they enjoyed their ignorance. You know, like at one point they take his journal and use it for toilet paper because mm-hmm. they can't read, so what does it matter anyway? Right, and it, that was very <laughs> prominent thing about that scene that they said they couldn't read, and yeah. It's... And they weren't, they weren't upset by their own stupidity or their own ignorance, you know? Like, I don't know. I felt a lot of things watching this movie. Yeah. It was a very difficult movie for me to watch, and I do sort of wish I had seen it back then but then at the same time I think it's good I didn't because I think I would have been devastated Mm. to see how much my mindset has changed and shifted over 30 years I wish I could remember what I felt when I saw it back then I know that I had seen it and everything but I know the people I've talked to who have seen it all just say how powerful and how much they loved it so it would almost be interesting to have somebody rewatch it and say, okay, this is how I remember feeling and this is how I feel today, if it's Absolutely. any different or if it's the same. Overall, it was fairly sympathetic towards the Native Americans, so I'm going to give it that. Well, um, maybe we should go on to uh, would we watch it again? I mean, it is a great movie. And I personally... I think there is so much going on that you may miss certain things. And I think that re-watching it in a shorter time frame than I did would behoove me so that I can try to look for other things that I missed. And maybe sort of looking to see if I can figure out maybe what scenes are actually filmed near pier type thing versus the scenes that I could tell which were the Badlands type thing. Yes, I would watch it again. I don't know how many times, but it's... I think I would get tired of watching it, and it is it is very unsettling at points. I think for that reason, I probably won't watch it again. I think it... Mm took a toll on me like from the civil war with the sawing the legs off and the pile of boots and the blood everywhere to the skinned buffalo to the death of the wolf and it was just maybe i'm just sensitive but for me it was really really hard to watch i don't think i could watch it again i thought it was a great movie that's nothing against the movie But I don't think I could watch it again. Yeah, I I didn't feel exactly the same way, but I totally understand why you feel that way. And that it was hard for me to 
continue to watch some of those scenes when you couldn't. I mean, it, you think it, it that's does affect you're, me. You're a hearty American male. Are you conditioned to be okay to watch that sort of thing? Maybe, maybe we are conditioned that way. Uh, I don't really, I don't really know. It'd be interesting to think about. Yeah. Well, another thing to think about, is there any questions we have for Kevin with this movie? I think I'd ask him if he would make the same movie today. He spent a lot of time in the Dakotas and Wyoming and filming Yellowstone, and I know his family owns property out there. Would it look the same today if he was to make this film? Correct. I think that would be interesting. I... I, I totally agree with you, Kate. I think that uh, that, that would be a good question to ask. Uh, okay, well, everything about this feels heavy. Please tell me that our next movie is not going to be this challenging. Well, should we rate this one? Be- oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before yeah. we jump into that? Let's rate this movie. Zero to ten, Greg. There is, there was so much to digest with this movie. It was a stupendous movie. And obviously, it won a lot of awards. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, is this to the level of a Field of Dreams, which we gave it top... Straight tens for straight, Field of Dreams. Right. Straight ten for Testament. Correct. Does this deserve a ten? I... I have to think about it in a moment. I'll see if Kate has uh, anything else to say on what she thinks she might be rating this. My gut instinct is to give it an eight. Okay, and what is the, the reasoning? Initially, I was going to give it a seven. Okay. But when I think about my rating, the way I have the rating scale broken up, eight to ten is a great movie. Okay. So I don't want to call it merely good. Okay. It did elicit some really deep emotions out of me. Um, I love the music. I appreciated getting to hear the language. Um, it gave me a lot to think about. It gave me a lot to reflect upon in my own life experience. I don't know, consequently. And also, they killed the wolf, and I'm still pissed about that. So that makes it automatically a nine at the best. (laughs) And the horse. Okay. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I think it's, for me, it's an eight. Yeah, I think part of it, for me, the reason that I wouldn't give it a ten is I think it didn't age well. I mean, yes, it is still a great movie, but... If it were made today, there would be some difference, some big differences. I'm not quite sure what those differences would be, but I, I'm pretty sure uh, there would be some. Um, I think it is a great movie, and as she said, the it, the 8 to 10 is great movies. But yes, I cannot give it a 10 and I'm going to agree with a eight on this um, because of the aspects that we we said. So we're kind of in line with what everybody else is. Eight. It's an eight out of ten for IMDb. And an 87 for Rotten Tomatoes. Know, so. so, Okay, all that being said, Greg, I feel like I almost have a headache from all of this. My heart is hurting. Please tell me, I beg of you, that we're going to have something lighter and less violent than the last three or four movies we've seen. Uh, Next one is Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. (sighs) There's a lot of fighting in Robin Hood. (laughs) Yep. Yes. And we get to um, talk more about sycamore gap tree is there even more beyond what we already talked about well no just the fact that it's in oh that's true we finally get to see it after talking about it for three months i do really enjoy robin hood i might even sing to you 
in the next episode because there is wow a folks she she's she super, might say super famous song came out of robin hood prince of thieves got it but man can he make something like i don't know what is the most sweetest movie you can think of <laughs> has he ever done any like real romantic comedies well um You've got message in a bottle. I know, but that's gonna make me cry. Oh, how about like, Kevin? Could you remake? Like, no one will ever improve upon Sleepless in Seattle, but can you please make something like Sleepless in Seattle that I can just sit and feel happy about watching? Actually, that's a bad example because that one makes me cry too. Uh, how about <laughs> while you were sleeping? Can you remake while you were sleeping? <laughs> And do something fun like that. Or the holiday. That was a fun one. It's Christmas. Yep. Okay. I'm glad it's done. I am glad I watched it. I'm glad it's behind me. Yep. Here's to Robin Hood. Yep. Till next time. Bye. Bye, folks. Oh, before we go, Greg, I just wanted to give a shout out to everybody who found us via the other 98% Facebook group. So thank you to anyone who is listening from there. And we really appreciate that you found us. And I would love to hear your feedback. Make sure you join us on Facebook. Okay. Yep. Well, with that, Greg, let's call it a night. I'm tired. Uh, I'm tired too. Well, see you later, folks. Good night. Bye. The Kevin Costner Project is produced by October 10 Productions. Our theme music is Happy Acoustic Guitar Background Music by Music Unlimited via Pixabay.com. Audio clips included under fair use policies in our best accordance with U.S. copyright law. You can find us online at thekevincostnerproject.com or by searching Facebook, Instagram, Twitter X, or TikTok for The Kevin Costner Project. This podcast is not endorsed by Kevin Costner or his agents yet.